I don't think people understand really the depth of the coordination and the efforts that have happened within our community. And that's just not normal. School boards across the country are being attacked. I mean, I have a friend who lives in Iowa and every day she's talking about how fearful she is about the situation in her kid's school. And she lives in a college town just like ours, but very different. Iowa City is not Champaign-Urbana. Laura, thanks for coming on with me. I appreciate it. It's great to be talking with you again. It's been a while. So you are uniquely qualified to talk about schools and uh, masks and how kids are doing and families and um, how we're just surviving as families because you have a fourth grader, a seventh grader, a 10th grader. And, and do I understand they're all in separate, all in different schools? Is that right? Three kids, three different schools. <laughs> Are they all sort of in sync? Are, are things so different at every school that it's like you're pulling your hair out? Well, the good news is, you know, this is my 11th year at Bottenfield Elementary in Champaign. So I am definitely the old mom uh, of the crew. So, you know, although we are on our, I think, fifth different principal. So there's always something new. Um, so elementary school, we had down, you know, thankfully due to my high school, or I've got middle school a little bit down, uh, great team over at, in our middle schools here in Champaign. And then, you know, we're just f figuring out our way through high school. It's really bizarre when your kid doesn't has a, a year and doesn't step foot in school. So stepping foot into school as for the first time as a sophomore is a little bit different, but, you know, we're all just working through it. I think one thing that I've tried to uh, instill in my kids and mainly just as a coping mechanism for myself is we're just rolling with the punches and we'll figure it out as we go along. And I think that that's rubbed off on them too. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. You have a 10th grader, a sophomore. I was talking with Casey Abold on the podcast a couple of weeks back about how some of the sophomores are feeling like freshmen over at the University of Illinois uh, because they didn't get the whole move-in experience. So your 10th grader maybe didn't get the full freshman I'm new to high school experience. Definitely. And, you know, it's also interesting because just recently the school made the decision to postpone homecoming festivities. And, you know, my kiddo was just really not that, I mean, she, you know, mentioned it and it was, you know, kind of something, oh, we're not doing this, but it wasn't, she didn't have that level of disappointment in her voice because frankly, she doesn't know to be disappointed. Uh, so it's just a little bit different. Uh, you know, even the kids who did go in person last year was certainly by no means a regular year in high school. And so, yes, definitely. I mean, there's only really one class of students who's had a regular full year in high school, which is the seniors, just like the seniors at U of I are the only ones who've had a regular full year of, of classes, so to speak, at um, the U of I. So everybody's kind of working through this together. As I told my kids, you know, when we, when we started school, I said, you know, everyone needs to take a few deep breaths. This is about the newest new school year ever. Um, and this, and it's true, you know, so many things have been reset. There's so many differences. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think though, that we're lucky to be surrounded by a community that values education, that values our kids. And I think we're all working through this together the best that we can. And hopefully, um, you know, if there's anybody's got some extra Xanax to pass around, that's not <laughs> such a bad thing either. I feel like, and I, I don't have kids in the school here in Champaign-Urbana, but I feel like when I watch the news or I look at social media, I think, man, we are so fortunate because I see some of the things going on before school board meetings and outside of schools in other communities in other states. And I shake my head 
And I, I feel fortunate as a, as a community member here in East Central Illinois. Do you feel that way as a parent? I feel that we are in one of the best places that we can possibly be as a parent. And I definitely feel that way. And I felt that way all along. I mean, thanks to Julie Pry, the team at CU PhD, the work that the community has done together. We are very, I don't think people understand really the depth of the coordination and the efforts that have happened within our community. And that's just not normal. School boards across the country are being attacked. I mean, I have a friend who lives in Iowa and every day she's talking about how fearful she is about the situation in her kid's school. And she lives in a college town just like ours, but very different. Iowa City is not Champaign-Urbana. And and uh, it's it's just a unique environment. And I think we're we probably don't realize exactly how lucky we are until we see these other things going on around us. You brought up something I want to come back to uh, a minute ago uh, about your freshman, excuse me, your sophomore now, 10th grader, who didn't have the homecoming experience in ninth grade. And so wasn't too disappointed uh, about the news uh, about there not being a homecoming this year. And I guess in a way, parents throughout this pandemic are, are a little more uptight or maybe a little more sad or in some cases, you know, as we just discussed, more angry because they did have that experience. And so they're, they're like, I want my kid to have all these experiences that I have. And, I, you know, we all do. I mean, we've all been through that. But in some ways, kids seem to be taking it better than, than the parents are. You can say that again in so many different ways. Our kids are resilient. Uh, you know, I like I say this all the time on social media. Kids don't care about masks. And, you know, it's the parents that are raising a ruckus about kids having to wear masks at school. Um, it's not the kids. I ask my my kids forget about their mask being on. They half the time they forget to take it off. I'm, I'm like, oh, we're in the car. You can take it off now. I mean, it's just become part of what they do and who they are. They don't even think about it. It's just like putting their socks on. So, you know, I think as parents, we need to think about that. And definitely, I think that if there's anything that kids have learned is that they've had a lot of disappointments in the last you know, 19 months or so. And frankly, they are the ones who are just like, it's okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do something else or let's figure out a different way to do this or whatever. And so I think that some of that is following the lead of, you know, of other people, grownups in the community, but a lot of it is just because they have recognized that that's just what they have to do to get through this. And so um, I really admire my kids in, in that way. And, you know, we've had a lot of birthdays that have been different and a lot of times that we couldn't be with friends or family and and they've just learned to uh, to live with it. I love that what you said. Kids don't care about masks. That's a great point. You know, you don't for the most when you see a protester on the news and there's a kid there, there's always a parent next to them. The parent is the one who said, let's go do this thing. And the kid's there to, you know, to be a part of the family for better or for worse. But kids don't care about masks. That is a great point. They really don't. I just see, you know, and if in, I, I'm not going to diminish, I'm sure there there's, of course, certain kids who just physically or, or, you know, for medical reasons cannot wear them. There's always going to be, you know, the exceptions to the rule. But for the most part, I have asked kids of very little, very little kids, they don't, it's just, they don't even remember what it's like to not wear a mask. Uh, and so the littles up to, you know, through middle school, even my high schoolers don't care. Now, of course, older kids don't like to do anything that a grown up tells them to do. So, you know, that's a different situation. But for the, from what I've seen and from what I can tell um, from, you know, I have kids in every different level imaginable. I have friends who've got kids in daycare, et cetera. Kids don't care about masks. 
Well, so you are one of the founders of Shambana Moms, and so you are really in tune with moms and dads and families and kids. Um, How do you think families as a whole, as a unit, have made it through? Do you think families have adjusted and um, will stay adjusted, or are they just fingers crossed trying to get through this and then it's going to be back to normal someday? Well, you know, it was really interesting during those, you know, six or seven weeks where we, you know, people acted like the pandemic was over. And I think that a lot of those intuitions of people wanted to think, oh, well, we'll just pick up and do things that feel like normal. But the reality is, is that I think that people need to recognize that they've trained their bodies and their minds differently. And a lot has changed. And so I think there are definitely families that are coming out of this that think that COVID was the best thing that ever happened. Maybe they've decided for a different way of of life. Maybe they've found a better work-life balance because of working from home or homeschooling or whatever it might be. I mean, there's definitely families in that situation. I think there are definitely families though, who have really suffered for, you know, variety of reasons of their kids. Kids have really suffered. I mean, kids have been somewhat sacrificial lambs here during these last, you know, look, they, we prioritize lots of things over kids being in schools. We've let kids atrophy in some ways. And I think that that, that educational slide is going to be something that's definitely going to impact kids for years to come. And I think that families just need to adjust to it and understand and have patience and recognize that, you know what, you know, yeah, this happened. And, you know, as I said to my kids, I don't care if you don't learn anything this year, that was last year, of course. Um, but because th- they learned so much other things, but now is the time, you know, where I think people are ca- kind of getting anxious and feeling like they need to, you know, catch back up again. But I don't think anyone really knows what that means. I don't think we can underestimate how much our kids have learned over the course of the situation. It's really a once in a hundred year situation. You know, I think it's really interesting with, you know, different anniversaries of events come up and, you know, what was the first news event or what was the most thing that, you know, what was the thing that you learned the most from? And, you know, I remember my grandparents talking about living through the depression. And honestly, this, that's what this generation of kids is going to remember. I lived through COVID. I couldn't talk to my friends. I couldn't, you know, go to the playground. I couldn't, uh, you know, I had to wait in food lines because there wasn't food at school for me. And I, I love the word resilient because I really do. I, I truly believe even before you and I talked that kids are resilient. We know that there are kids who go through incredibly traumatic situations that most of us never know of in their house, in their neighborhood, at school, and somehow they come out the other side and they become, you know, scientists and lawyers and movie stars and all that. So I think resilient is uh, is a great is a great word, and I love that. Kids are just looking at this differently than adults. They just, they know we got to go with it. We got to be the adults because sometimes the adults can't handle it. They, you know, most of us do, but sometimes kids have to be the adults and they just, they just kind of know it. I think that's very true. And I think that kids are very honest. And if there's one thing that I hope comes out of this situation is that maybe people will be that much more empathetic, realize how much, how important schools are to our communities, to the fabric of our communities, to feeding our kids. So the importance of kids eating at at school. Um, I mean, I don't, I think that that's something that was maybe hidden, you know, by a lot of different ways as, oh, that's just those kids or that's just that. And I think that this this whole situation um, really brought out of the shadows of how much our kids are really dependent on some of these systems, you know, for sustenance and for everyday needs. And I just hope that people remember that, that these, these institutions are really important to the raising of our kids. 
So Shamban and Moms has always been um, connect, a way for moms to connect, families to connect. The, the, the family of Shambana Moms is connected to the community and supports community and businesses. When the pandemic hit, um, did the focus of Shambana Moms shift a bit? Well, like other small businesses in our community, sure, we're not a restaurant that had to close our doors or, you know, we're not a shop that had to shut down. But, you know, we, we work with a lot of those businesses. And so it was a very scary time for us, um, you know, with uh, revenues that just, you know, dried up a lot of what we do, especially spring, summer, fall is promote other people's events and get paid to promote those events. And when events stop, that's a huge revenue stream for us. So, you know, we kind of had to figure out, okay, how can we, um, you know, thankfully we were in a, a, a good enough financial position. And, you know, our, our priority was to keep our, you know, six employees whole and, but also our priority was, okay, what can, how can we use our skills to uh, really support the community in in a ways that maybe we haven't been doing before. And so a lot of it really came down to, I mean, you know, I'm a journalist by training. I worked in uh, daily newspapers as did my husband, who's the managing editor of shambanamoms.com. And we just really went back to our journalistic roots and we were breaking news and compiling information that was really important to, to families. You know, what, what can we do? What can't we do? What's open? What's closed? Um, how do we get the best masks? How do we support local businesses that are open? There's, you know, all of that. So really that became our focus. I mean, we were churning out content for the first couple of months at a rate that was um, pretty uh, actually looking back on it, I somewhat in disbelief, really, I think it was honestly a lot of adrenaline. And as I mentioned, maybe just a coping mechanism for me, but, um, it really was important to me that we use our skills and our knowledge of what's important to our community to get that information out to them as best we could. And that was really our focus. And then as of course, time went on really just pivoting our content to focus on, okay, what, what can people do? How can we make the best of this for us at Shambana moms? One of the things that we used to do all the time was we would do in-person live chats on Facebook. So we did that with a bunch of our different clients. Um, it's a very popular thing that we do. Uh, you know, we it's engages people and we try to make it really fun um, both for the for our you know subjects as well. And so one of the things that we were doing though instead was we were doing interviews with doctors, local doctors. How do we keep our families safe? What's the status of the vaccine? Uh, all these things, but we were able to do that all virtually through platforms like Zoom, or we we use another platform that connects more seamlessly to Facebook too. So we've definitely extended our use of technology, even though of course, everything that we do is um, technological. One of the things though, that was a little bit of a, a bummer for us uh, was that, you know, we really cut down a lot of the value that we provide to the community is that we do a lot of our own events. And so of course that has not happened. Actually, we do have our first in-person event. Of course, it's outside. It's social distance uh, that we're doing um, upcoming. But I think that, you know, with Delta and everything, we're we're going to have to rethink what the kind of programming that we do um, over the course of the winter. But again, we found ways to get people together online virtually. You know, I think that there was a there was more of an appetite for that, I think, several months ago. And I think that, of course, um, you know, people kind of have moved on. But I do think that as the weather uh, cools off and it's not as nice outside, that there will become more of an appetite for that kind of gathering again if this continues. So, and we see no sign of it abating. What were your one or two most popular posts 
um, in the year after the pandemic hit. Do you remember what your 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 top yes posts? I can tell you exactly what they were. <laughs> Uh, one of them. So Steve, you know that I am the Jew who loves Christmas lights <laughs> and uh, the annual Christmas lights roundup on Champagne and Moms is something that is really popular every year. But I will say that there was nothing that matched traffic uh, like Christmas lights during a pandemic. So our Christmas lights uh, was just insane this year. And um, I do do a lot of that myself. Thankfully, I have lots of Christmas light spies all over the county and even beyond the county. So, uh, and lots of people got really into the uh, the spirit of the holidays um, through light uh, exhibits, and you know, the Par- Champaign Park District added something. So that was a really big one. Um, I think uh, the other one actually probably was our posts about Costco opening. Oh, <laughs> so we broke the news about Costco opening, and I think that was pretty much you know the what the date it was going to open, and I think that was the one. So, um, but you know, I'd have to go back and look. I, you know, I think that really it was a lot of what was really popular. We had some things that just went totally viral. We had this um, article about a state park, Matheson State Park, which is next to Starve Rock, and I don't know who got a hold of it or where, but basically it had thousands upon thousands of views. So um, people really. Really wanted to get outside. So any of our outdoor content or things that people could do safely was really, really important during the pandemic. And thankfully, we have a lot of that and people who really get into it on our team. So it was easy for us. Yeah, you know, that's interesting, too, because, you know, Shamban and Moms, you said you have six on the payroll, plus you have, uh, you know, probably dozens of other moms and maybe some dads, too, including your husband, who you know, are just, you know, friends of Shambana moms. And so you're probably always getting tips. I, I, I have thought to myself jokingly as, as I was preparing for this interview, you know, if, if there were a Shambana dads or something like it, it wouldn't have nearly the content because when you ask a guy what's going on, we're like, eh, nothing. You know, we wouldn't... <laughs> We, we would. Well, you know that, you know, Steve, that Google Analytics tells me that 40% of the readership of ChambanaMoms.com are men. That's really not surprising. You know, I know when um, when I was on the morning show, yours was in the, you know, I had a, a folder of websites I opened every morning when I got into the studio before 4 a.m. And Shambana Moms was right there at the top because you guys often did have, it wasn't traditional breaking news necessarily, you know, but sometimes it was. So you're a great resource for for men and women. Yeah. And honest, I'll be honest with you. I've said this before, but you know, the name was a gimmick. Uh, we want to be a resource for anyone in the community that cares about uh, families and kids. And frankly, that just cares about our community. So we are happy to be, um, to have, you know, a wide range of readership and, you know, it's always a good thing to launch a sister site, which we did. We launched shambanaseniors.com, but probably not a great thing to do it six months before the world shuts down for seniors. So that site has been a little bit neglected, um, <laughs> in the last year or so, simply just because, uh, you know, we, we were, um, not able to write as much as we wanted to do a about what active older adults could do in town. Are there Shambana Moms websites or similar sites? Obviously, there would be a different name in other Illinois communities or even communities like ours that are in other other states that you keep an eye on that you communicate with. Uh, funny you should ask that. I actually run a group of them um, and have for several years. So we have a whole network of independent digital magazines for families that are just like ours. So they're in places like Appleton, Wisconsin, Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids. 
uh, Indianapolis, the woman who runs the Indy with kids is one, probably one of my best friends. Um, so if you ever go to Indianapolis, indywithkids.com is the best resource, uh, there is, but, um, but as far away also as Australia. So we actually meet up every year. Unfortunately, last year, we were not able to do that. Um, but we did have a, we, we have meetings of a summit every year. And actually a, a few years ago, it was in Champaign-Urbana and our friend from Australia actually came because you know what, you can take a direct flight from Sydney to Dallas and Dallas gets you right here to Champaign. So, mm. uh, that was, that was pretty fun, but yeah, Calif from coast to coast, California to, uh, uh, Virginia, a lot in the Southeast as well. And, but the heart of it really is the Midwest. So there's a bunch of sites around Chicago, um, the Chicago area, different areas of the suburbs, um, a few, one in the Rockford area, a bunch in Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, et cetera. It's kind of neat because you probably share ideas, um, where if you come up with an interesting promotional idea, Christmas lights idea, contest, it's easy to just share with these other sites and then they can take advantage of it in Appleton or India or wherever. Yeah. And I really do attribute a lot of um, just the enormous growth potential that our site has had to that group and definitely the idea sharing and the mastermind nature of that group has been and fundamental to our success, but also fundamental to our abilities to serve our communities. And everybody's community looks a little different and has a different fabric. You know, like um, it's been interesting, you know, back to pandemic conversation, you know, we talk a ton about vaccines on our site. And there are some sites, my friends in the Southeast who are like, we won't touch that with a 10 foot pole. So it's just interesting how everybody's community is a little bit different and what they're, what they will, you know, broach and what they, what topics they feel is appropriate for their family, um, you know, digital magazine to touch. So, um, but yeah, we, we definitely were cranking out a lot of information and I think we all watch one another, what one another do and share. And that's really what we do at our summit every year is share our best practices. So from social media to the websites, to, you know, video content, et cetera. So it would seem like with sites like Shambana Moms and, Facebook groups and YouTube, uh, you know, instructional videos and tips, it would seem like while parenting wouldn't be easier, there would be more support and more answers. Is that is that a safe way to say it? Because you never want to say that parenting has gotten easier over the years, but the resources are more available. Yes, I would say that. Um, I would say there's also a lot of garbage out there. And unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, we made a very... Um, uh, very pivotal decision, I would say probably about four, three or four years into the website to really dig into what we know best, which is local resources. And so you're not going to see a lot of generic parenting information on our website. What you'll see is if it's something that has a local angle or if that it's really important to East Central Illinois or Champaign-Urbana, that that's what you'll see on our site because that's what we know and that's what we can do. Um, and we'll leave some of that more general parenting stuff to other places. There's been a lot of websites, you know, I've been doing this a long time and was connected, you know, in the early days of what they called mommy blogs and things like that. And a lot of those sites have gone away. They've gone under or shifted or pivoted um, in significant ways or been bought out by larger content, uh, you know, creators or larger organizations. And so um, it, it's gotten a little bit more muddled. I'd like to, I'd love to say that back in the day, there was a lot more storytelling that was available to people, a lot more um, personal sort of 
you know, and maybe people are doing that now in vlogging or, you know, even on TikTok videos. But um, I would say, though, that it's it's a bit more muddled now. And so I do think that people do struggle sometimes to find what they would call quality information um, about parenting online. And so my hope is, is that we can at least direct them to some quality information resources, even if we're not the direct resource. Do you remember I asked about your most popular post during the pandemic? What year did Chambana Moms launch? Uh, 2009, November of 2009. 2009. Do you remember your first post and who wrote it? Um, it was me. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, so basically, we wrote a welcome post. And then I think one of the other first posts was me and the, my co-founder at the time. So my co-founder, she left the company in 2013. So, um, But we did a interview with our moms was one of our first articles, and it's not there anymore. Um, I, I actually have gone through in the last... Uh, you know, I, I kept a lot of that stuff. I think there was a lot of nostalgia around it. But in the last few years, I've really purged a lot of our early content because frankly, like I said, it really didn't have it. It really didn't augment the local stuff. Okay. So on that note, let let me, uh, let me wrap it up with this then. Let's say somebody has an idea for a blog and you say, I'm going to do, I'm into, you know, running and walking. So I'm going to do a champagne or maybe Illinois based walking, running blog. What advice would you have for that person? Maybe they're not into it for the money, but they do want it to be successful and popular and be taken seriously. Um, I think what I would say is do it on your own terms. I think that one of the things that I know that I got caught up into, you know, I had a blog before Shambana Moms. And I think that I got caught up in the idea that other people had all these expectations of me and what I should be writing and how often I should be writing. And really, I... I was too naive at that point to understand that I needed to set the boundaries or it would fail. And so that's really, I think, one of my most important messages is say, do it for you and do it as as it is meaningful for you. And don't worry about what anybody else thinks, because once you get to that point, then it will become work and it becomes rote and you'll resent it. That's great. And there's a lot of decaying blogs out there. Yeah, I mean, I you know, with this podcast, obviously, I'm, I'm my goal is to do something every week to talk to somebody interesting, somebody that's got information. I have a content company that I started back in the '90s that creates content for radio stations, which is how a lot of what we use on my morning show came from that service. You know, the consistency is key. I'm sure that you've noticed that. You know, where in the beginning, especially if you didn't post something for a little bit, visitorship drops a bit, and people go, "Where'd you Where'd you go? Are you uh, Are you a fly by night? What's going on?" And there's also, you know, so many different platforms now. I mean, you know, we were, we benefited from what I like to call the democratization of the internet, which was, you know, WYSIWYG, you know, platforms that allowed people to self-publish without knowing how to, you know, code or et cetera. And so, but there's so many other options out there that include, you know, people use Instagram as their, you know, platform of, or their diaries, or maybe it's like you said, YouTube, or it could be, um, TikTok or, you know, there's other platforms as well that, um, are really just a little bit more, maybe more accessible to some people for different reasons and less of a chore, so to speak. So, you know, think about what you like to do, whether it's, you know, I mean, I love to write. I mean, that's my background. So writing to me will never be, um, work. It's fun. It's, pleasure and it's what I what I'm most passionate about. Funny thing is though is that I found through Shambana Moms that I'm actually really good at talking to people 
uh, live in digital platforms, which I had no idea. So you never know what skills sets you'll figure out that you have that you didn't realize. Yeah, and you you brought it up. Uh, you know, platforms like YouTube and Instagram and TikTok they're su- they're super for creating you know even good quality content pretty quickly because so much of what you'll see is somebody sitting in their car talking into their camera. They're delivering some, you know, I've gotten some really good information about the pandemic from doctors who have just gotten off of a shift. They'll reveal some study that they uh, learned through some journal. And, and, and you know, things can get complicated. I mean, once things get complicated, it really is important to think about those platforms because I think people don't realize that, you know, what they own and what they don't own. So if, you, if ownership of content is really something that's critical to you or like, as you mentioned, monetization, then that needs to be a much further conversation and something that's really examined more closely. I mean, you know, we own our content on shambanamoms.com, um, but we don't own our Facebook page. And in many ways, I treat them as almost two separate entities. So it's uh, it's an interesting game. Yeah. Don't build on rented land, I think is the popular saying, because exactly. Facebook, if it someday goes away or YouTube doesn't like something that you posted and bans you for a week or two or whatever, then then and if that's the only place you're publishing, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Facebook jail isn't fun. <laughs> Laura Blyle with Shambana Moms. Uh, thanks. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk to me on the podcast here. It's been very informative and um, keep doing what you're doing. You're just a fantastic community resource. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for all that you do for the community and have done in the past. And I'm grateful that you took the time and interest in the work that we do. So um, here anytime and happy to come back anytime too. So thanks, Steve. Hey, if you'd like to reach me, my email is steve at holstein.co. If you'd like to check out older episodes, you can find them in your podcast app or at holstein.co. If you're listening to this podcast in an app, I encourage you to press the follow or subscribe button. And if your podcast app offers a way to provide a review, I would greatly appreciate that. I'm Steve, and this was the Holstein & Company podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and I will see you around town.